Thank you, Eric. I uh, have so much to be grateful for. I really do. Um, Brad and the team here, Pastor Peter, Pastor Brian, they've been so gracious in this whole process. And I don't know if you guys realize how rare what just happened is, right? Where, where a candidate is standing next to the guy he's um, in line to, to follow and to have that guy pray for it. Actually, I'm getting a little teared up this morning just thinking about it. Uh, it, it's really rare, and really what it speaks to is the health of a great church. Um, and, and, and I could keep going on, but I've got other things to talk about this morning. Uh, but uh, I am just incredibly grateful, grateful to you, Eric, for your graciousness in this process. And we got to sit down and have, uh, have some dinner one night and, uh, and talk through the role and his experience and where he's going. And I just... I'm excited to see what God's going to do in your life, brother, and uh, just grateful for the opportunity to be able to uh, hand off the baton the way that uh, it's, it's been going so far, if, if it be God's will, for this to continue to go forward. Grace has been great every step of the way, and uh, just so grateful for the conversations we've been able to have. Hey, before I get too far, I do want to say a big thank you to someone else, and that's my wife who's traveled back and forth across the country with me in order to, and she remembers to give me water in case I start hacking away. So this is Jennifer, by the way. So uh, she is um, God's grace personified in my life, and uh, she is committed to ministry uh, and specifically committed to ministry uh, as being the best wife and mother that she can be. And uh, just grateful for that. She's been involved in other areas of ministry, teaching kids classes and women's small groups. But uh, she is fiercely committed to, uh, to, to fulfilling her role as wife and mother first and foremost. And for that, I am eternally grateful that God brought our paths together and has allowed us to build a life together. You saw that picture of our, my, my family. Uh, it's it's pretty, pretty typical of my family. You saw the little one in there with his face, you know, that, that's him. Uh, from 6.30 in the morning when he wakes up until 7 at night when he goes to bed, that is him, right? Just nonstop going the whole time. Avery and Eli and Camille uh, are just a, a blessing in our life, and uh, along with Oliver there, the little one. And just uh, super grateful for them. I uh, hope you guys get a chance to meet them. They, they were here with us a couple weeks ago when we were here. And I uh, got to experience your kids program and just, just fell in love with it. And so we're excited for this opportunity. You guys as a church are in a series in Esther. Uh, they asked me to prepare a sermon to, to bring to you today. And I didn't prepare it in Esther, not knowing you guys were going to be in Esther. Uh, they, they asked me not to do that. Uh, they asked me to put, put a sermon together. That's all the, the guidance they gave me. So I want to encourage you, don't miss the second week of Esther. Go online this week and pick it up. It'll be online for you to watch. Uh, I don't want you to fall behind in that. Uh, but they asked me if I would come today and share a little bit of my story, a little bit of my, my vision, if you will, for what church looks like. And, and I'm happy to do that, and I want to do that as we go through this today. But I want to share something far more important to you than my story, and that's God's story. The story that he has been write, writing for, uh, well, since the beginning of the world. A story that he's invited each and every one of us to be a part of. And a story that he has graciously given to each of us in his word. 
Praise God that he gets to, that, that he has chosen to unite our story with his. And today, I, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't go to God's word first and foremost and base the time that we're going to do here today, the, the time that we get to spend here today, on something far more important than my story. And that's the story that God wants to write in each of our hearts. So if you, if you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open up to Mark. We're going to start at the very end of Mark 4, and we'll be most of our time in Mark chapter 5 today. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, to get you guys to, to go there, and uh, we'll get started in that in uh, Mark chapter 4. Would you pray with me as we get started today? Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word that is alive and active, who is, um, is here to transform us, to turn our lives upside down, to, to dig deep into our heart, to that secret place, to shed light in there and to, to transform us into the people that you want us to be. Help us today to learn from your word in order that we may reflect you and your son better to the world around us that you've placed us in. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, the he there being Jesus, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now we have to pause for just a second and understand what Jesus is asking out of his disciples. Things had been going pretty well for them up to this point. Jesus had, had gotten some notoriety. People started noticing him. Crowds started showing up in order to hear him teach, in order to he see him heal. They, they were bringing their sick, their infirmed. They, they were coming to see him. But this was on the Jewish side of things. This was the place where they were comfortable. That the places that, that the, their, the, the fellows had grown up, his disciples had grown up. It was a place where, where, where they knew the area. But just as everything was going good for them, Jesus makes this comment in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. He says, Let's go across to the other side. Now that other side, that phrase, had a very specific meaning to his disciples. It was a phrase that, that, that much like the phrase we use today, the other side of the tracks, right? That they come from the other side of the tracks. To them, this was the other side of the sea. The other side where those people lived. People different than me. Isn't this the way that things usually go? Just when things seem to be going great, God taps us on the shoulder and says, let's go to the other side. Let, let, let's try something new. Let's stretch you a little bit. Let's give you some experiences you haven't been before. Let, let's, let's put you in a situation where you have to live by faith. It's not comfortable to you anymore. I don't know about you, but in my life, there's been many opportunities where God has tapped me on the shoulder and he said, let's go to the other side. Let, let's try something different. 
And almost every time I go kicking and screaming. But God, don't you know how good things are going here? Don't you know that, that, that I figured it out in this place? But God has something greater for each and every one of us. He's calling us to something more. The other side was an area known as the Decapolis. The Decapolis was ten cities. In fact, that's what Decapolis means, ten cities in Greek. Uh, it was an area that originally was formed and it made up ten cities. Probably around Jesus' time it was more than ten cities. Uh, but it had still kind of kept that name, that designation as the Decapolis. It was inhabited originally by people. It was seven nations. We can read about them in Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, but it was inhabited by seven nations that were expelled from the promised land. That they were expelled from their land and they were sent to this area <coughs> just on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. It became a, a center of pagan religions that as these seven nations came together, they all kind of blended together their pagan rituals. In fact, even today, there's archaeological digs that are going on in this area where you can see altars that were, that were carved into the side of mountains. And in fact, in a mount, one mountainside, there's multiple um, um, altars that have been carved into that mountainside in order to represent the plethora of different gods that they worshipped during that time. Their worship was was much different than the Jewish worship. It was incredibly violent. It was, it was based in sexuality. It, it, was, it was as pagan as you can get. In fact, one of the things that they worshiped most was the pig. You couldn't get more un-Jewish than worshiping the pig. Now, I like myself a good piece of bacon, okay? Don't get me wrong. But to a Jewish person, that was unheard of. That was as foreign as you could get. You stayed away from those people. In fact, it was probably kind of nice for them that there was a big sea that separated where they lived from the other side. But Jesus said, let's go to the other side. One other, one other distinction about the Decapolis is that it also became a hub of Roman rule that the Roman rulers uh, staked in this place uh, a pretty strong presence. And the reason why is that it was an important trade route between Arabia and Damascus. And so, so they wanted some stability there in order for trade and specifically money to be able to continue to flow through. Well, along with Roman rule came a freedom for the locals, for the pagans that lived there. They didn't have to live under the oppressive rules of the Jewish people because the Romans were there, they kept the Jewish people at bay, and they could kind of do whatever they wanted to do. There was a, a freedom, if you will, for them to worship the way they wanted to. There was a freedom for them to eat some bacon, to, to eat some pork. We're going to see that later in our, our story today. It's going to become an important part of the story that we look at. But we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea. They didn't come easily. There was a big storm. Jesus had to calm the storm. 
I believe that there was spiritual warfare going on that was trying to keep Jesus and his disciples from making it to the other side. But nonetheless, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. The Gerasenes is probably a reference to the city of Gerasa, and it's probably saying it was the area of where Gerasa was, that they were probably on the outskirts, and the city center was, was, was close, but not, not exactly in the city. And we're going to see that they were on the outskirts of, of that city here in just a moment. You, you see, we're going to see here very clearly that all of us come to Jesus with a story. That all of us come to Jesus with a story. When Jesus comes to this area, there's one man that comes to meet him. And we pick it up in verse two of Mark chapter five. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, Jesus and his disciples had a pretty good thing going for them where they came from. And they come to this new place, the other side of the sea, and everything changes for them. There wasn't a crowd out there to cheer them on, to greet them, bringing them their their sick and their infirmed, their their demon-possessed the people who were, were, were heavy laden, they, they weren't there to hear Jesus' teaching. In fact, the truth of the matter is, is nobody showed up to see Jesus. He just happened to land in the area where the graveyard was, where the tombs were, where, where the cemetery was, on the outskirts of town, way out there. And inside that cemetery, there lived but one man, In fact, I say nobody comes out to meet Jesus, and that's not entirely true because there was one man there to meet him, a man who was completely and utterly out of his mind, a man who apparently was pretty strong, we can see. He he, he broke chains when they tried to bind him. In in another uh, part of of the story in Luke, we hear in chapter 8 that he was naked when he came to see Jesus. He didn't even keep clothes on, right? I mean, this man was out of his mind. In fact, we're told here that he was inhabited. He was, was, a spirit was living within him. It's going to become a, a big part of our story. Now, I don't know about this man. I don't know about his story, but can we all agree that he came to Jesus with something? Something wasn't right. There was something in his story that went amiss. I don't know if it was decisions he made himself or whether it was oppression from living in that area, spiritual oppression that was upon him. I, I would guess heavily that because of the demonic presence that, that, that existed in that area, that, that he had been affected by that. I don't know if maybe it was something that was done to him. 
It's very possible that at a very young age, he was used in some type of a sacrifice to a false god or a, a, a curse of some kind from his parents had been placed upon him. We don't know the details of his story, but can we, can we agree that something happened to him? There was something in his story that went off, that, 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 that took a, a sharp left turn when nobody was watching, to the point where this man is out of his mind, naked, running around a cemetery, calling it his home. We all come to Jesus with a story. A good friend of mine, he was an elder in a church I served at in Anaheim, California, once told me, Jason, you know we don't have to clean a fish before we catch it. It was his way of saying that people come to Jesus in a lot of different circumstances. Everybody has a story when they come to Jesus. And there shouldn't be any, any standards, any, any rules that we place upon people when they come to Jesus. That, that we just give them Jesus. We just offer them the, the grace that Jesus offered us and allow the work of Jesus to do the work of cleaning them up. Far too often in Christianity, we've placed rules on what people have to look like or sound like or maybe even believe in. I believe belief is very, very important. It's crucial in order to having a relationship with Jesus. But sometimes the people out there, the people that are different than us, need to know we care first before they can hear what we believe. I know Jesus... Jesus allowed a broken boy whose world was torn apart by divorce to come to him at one point in his life. In fact, it's my story. You see, my dad left my family. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And he left our family to go live with another woman. And it took my mom by surprise. And it left our family deeply broken. My sisters at the time, my older sisters, were just entering high school, uh, junior high and high school, and uh, their lives got turned upside down more than probably mine did because they were older and knew really what was going on. They started getting involved in the wrong crowd. and In a short period of time, chaos ensued in my house every day. It was chaos of some kind that, that ruled our house, whether it was one sister coming home drunk or another sister um, hanging out with a boy that was doing drugs or doing drugs herself. I mean, this chaos just enveloped our family. We had gone to church before, but, but certainly before my dad left, we hadn't gone to church for, for quite a few years. And there was a family that we were connected to. In fact, their names are Dennis and Jeannie Smith. I have no idea where they are today. I don't know what happened to them. But they were a family who loved us. In fact, they loved us enough in order to invite us in the midst of our chaos to go back to church. And so one Sunday morning, my mom packed all four of us kids into the Dotson station wagon. It was blue, and it had this wood trim on it. It was really sweet. It had the, the backward-facing third-row seat. We could watch out the back, and, and uh, I don't know, I still think some of those fumes got in somehow and <laughs> killed a few brain cells while I was back there. 
I packed us up in that Datsun station wagon and took us to church. It was hard for her, I'm sure, especially looking back. And I have four kids now, and man, anytime I have to get them all in the car by myself, I'm exhausted by the end of it, right? But she did it. And you know, it wasn't just Sundays, but she started taking us on Wednesday nights too. And I got involved in a program called Awana, and I, I learned all these memory verses. I loved it. And then Dennis and Jeannie Smith, just a couple months later, uh, invited us to this big crusade, is what they called it, this big gathering. It was at Angel Stadium. And Anna, my favorite ball player, Wally Joyner, he would always hit the ball right up into the right, right-hand side, the, 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 the first base side of the, the stadium. And, and when we got there, this big crowds that kind of funnel you through. And I got to sit up at what, what we called Wally World, right? The, the, the first base side. I thought it was the best thing ever. But little did I know I was there in order to hear a gospel message that was clearly preached by a guy named Billy Graham. And an offer was made towards the end of that time. And I tapped my mom on the shoulder. We were, I mean, we were way up there. Our nose was bleeding. We were so far up there, right? I tapped my mom on the shoulder and I said, Mom, I want to do that. I want to give my life to Jesus. So we got up and we made the long trek all the way down. They got these circle kind of walkways that take you down to the field. Walked into that, that, that first base side, the, 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 the best seats that I never got to sit at, but, uh, you know, got, got to go all the way down. I got to go on the field. And there was a counselor down there, and she had a little booklet, and we walked through it, and it talked about how Jesus loved me. I didn't know that love. Because my, my life was chaos. But I responded to that love that day. And I gave my life to Jesus, and it's made all the difference since. The trajectory of my life has completely changed because I had an encounter with the living God. First kid to graduate from college from his family. No one would ever think a, a pastor would come from a family like mine. In fact, I run into people from the past and they're a little shocked sometimes. Wait, you're a pastor? You know who your dad is? But God's grace has gone before us every step of the way. And God's grace met this man in a cemetery. A man who was out of his mind because he had a bigger story that he wanted to write in this man's life. The story he was living was too small for Jesus. But we all come to him with some kind of a story. But none of us leave with that story untouched. You see, because Jesus isn't surprised or imitated by the chaos of our story. When everyone else had given up hope, Jesus steps into this man's life. We'll pick it up in Mark chapter 5, verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
I don't know what you read into that, but I, I think that's about the time that Toby, you know, the, the director of security, I met him a couple nights ago, uh, when he starts saying, okay, Jesus, it's time to get back in the boat and get out of here, right? I don't think this is safe for you. Uh, you know, Simon Peter starts stepping in and saying, I'll, I'll take over from here. Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, let's get back in the boat and let's, let's head back to where it's safe. Let's go back to where people like us. Because it sure doesn't seem like it's safe here. Jesus didn't do that. But we see in verse 9, Jesus does something very different. He doesn't get in the boat and run. I guess you get in the boat and row. I'm not sure which. You can't run in a boat. But uh, he doesn't get out of there by going in the boat. But what does he do instead? He engages the guy in conversation. In fact, he engages the the evil spirits in conversation. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now it's really time to go, right? Legion was a very specific term talking about the, the Roman army. That's the way that they organized. It meant there was a lot. They used the term legion to intimidate people. If you don't behave, I'm gonna send a legion down there, a whole lot of really armed guys in order to put you in line. And yet Jesus stands his ground. He isn't intimidated in any way by what would have intimidated you and I. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Man, what an interesting phrase. You see, those demons had found a home in that place. They knew it was safe there. They knew that there weren't believers. There weren't people who were following the one true God, that they could have their way. They could wreak havoc there in that area. Please, whatever you do, don't send us out of here. We have found a foothold here. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. I told you they'd become part of our story today, right? Why did they have a great herd of pigs there? Because the people loved their pork there. They, they, they worshipped them. They, it was part of their, their sacrifice, their religious sacrifice. They, they, they kept pigs. It was so different from the, from the Jewish country that, 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 that pigs were unclean. A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. To a Jewish person, they would have said that was an appropriate place for all those demons to go. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Jesus stood up to the story that would have intimidated you and I. He stood up to those evil spirits. He stood up to, to a, 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 a situation that seemed overwhelming. He gave us an example of what it is to live a life of faith. To know who you're grounded in. And not to be intimidated by the world around us. Two quick statements real quick. I hope you don't hold against me that I'm from California. Let's have a conversation about that sometime. I'll, I'll be happy to share with you why we're looking to leave. We had two rules, by the way. We were happy to stay where we were at. If God wanted us to stay there, we would do whatever God asked us to do. That was rule number one. But rule number two, if you ask us to leave, take us out of California, please, right? So, so don't hold that against me. But, but as a guy from California, let me tell you that, that it's coming. 
that you guys are going to be confronted, and you guys already have been. I, I know from some of the conversations I've been a part of. But it's going to become more and more intense for you as the world and its values begin to, to infiltrate more and more the area in which you live. And we as people of faith need to be people who are willing to stand up, confident in who we are in Jesus, holding tight to his word and his truth, never swaying left or right, but holding tight to his truth even in the face of great adversity. Life for Christians might have been, might have been good, but the day is coming when it's going to get hard. And it's not too far off. I hope that we together can be people that stand in the gap between what we know as being true and where our friends and family are. And we could be the people that stand in the gap, that hold tight to truth and give them a path to come and know the one true living God so their stories can be turned upside down by an encounter with Jesus as well. Not only did Jesus stand up to the evil spirits, we can continue in verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it, what was, what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there. What does it say next? Clothed and in his right mind. Evidence is sitting right there in front of them. A man who has been transformed by Jesus. But they were so spiritually blind, they couldn't even see it. Look at what it says next. He was clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. What if Jesus were like those other gods that they had worshipped? The gods that asked them to do violent things and, and sexually immoral things. The, those gods were not safe. They were convinced they had great power, but they weren't safe. They weren't loving. Well, what if this Jesus guy who had healed this man obviously had some authority, but what if, what if he wasn't safe? So many people come to us, come to Jesus with preconceived notions of who he is. Jesus isn't intimidated by that. He isn't swayed from his mission. And those who had seen, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And the people began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, on one end, they had the, the idea of what their gods were. On the other end, they probably just didn't want to lose any more money, right? Those pigs meant a lot to them. They, that, that was their livelihood. And for them to be now swimming in the sea or drowning in the sea meant that they were going to take a financial hit as well. So they begged Jesus, get back in the boat, go to your side of the sea, and leave us alone. Jesus wasn't intimidated by that crowd but he was willing to do exactly what they asked him to. They probably thought, whew, good thing, the story's over, we can go on with our lives, we can, we can get some more pigs, we can continue our herd. But Jesus had something else in store, you see, because Jesus will redeem our story for his purposes. 
his redemption of our story goes beyond what we can imagine. Goes beyond (coughs) what we can see. Pick up the story in verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. The man says, don't leave me here. Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know how they've mistreated me? Why do you think I was in the condition I was in? It was because I lived with these people. Let me get in the boat with you and go to the other side where things are safer, where people like you, where people don't run you out of town. But please, whatever you do, don't leave me here with these people. I could imagine why he has that that thought. The way he had been treated, the way he had been pushed out of society. He, he, He was living naked, tried to be bound in a cemetery. I mean, this this guy had reason to be scared of these people. But look at what Jesus said. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What is Jesus' response? It says, go home. The word home there is the word oikos. It means a house or a household. It's used in scripture many a times to talk about the people. In fact, in the NIV, it says, go back to your own people is the way that's translated there. Here it says, go home to your friends. Over the past few months, I have been impressed in my conversations with Grace with the vulnerability of its people. People who have embraced God's story for their life and who haven't been afraid to talk about their story as well. They're BC, they're before Christ. It's been impressive to me about how you guys have allowed God's story to uproot your life and and redeem your story, your story of brokenness and hurt for his purposes. Each and every one of you have been given an oikos. Each and every one of you have your people, your friends that God has called you to share that story with. It's your friends, your coworkers. It's the people that that are there at drop off when you take your kids to school. It's the people you serve on the PTA with. It's the ones you sit next to at your kid's soccer game. You think you're there in order to root on your kids? Well, God has you there in order to have influence in the people that are sitting on the sideline there along with you. It's the neighbor who cuts his grass with his tall white socks and his sandals, right? It's the one who needs help with his car, so you go over on a Saturday afternoon and you tinker on his car with him. You think it's about a car? No, it's about a story. It's, it's the, the, the lady who had been transferred to your department at work and it was supposed to be temporary but a few months have gone by and she's still there. Why has God placed these people in your life? Is it just to annoy you? No, it's because he has supernaturally and strategically placed them in your life so you can tell them about your story. Your story of redemption about how he took your story and he turned it upside down in order to glorify himself. 
the end of the day, it's about his glory. It's about his greater story that he's writing in each of our lives and he's invited us to be a part of. Our stories are full of people that God loves. In fact, Jesus loved the people of this man's life too much to allow him to get in the boat. They needed to see for themselves the transformative touch of Jesus on this man's life. And so Jesus did the unthinkable. He sent him back to his own people. And Jesus loves the people of your life too much to let you retreat into a Christian bubble. But instead, he sends you back to the people of your life. He loves them too much to let us continue to live in our smaller story. Instead, he invites you up into a bigger story, bigger than you could have ever imagined. Instead, he wraps us up in the greater story of redemption so others can see his goodness on display and his glory for the world to see. You don't have to change the world. I remember as a kid being, hearing these stories of how, how Christians were gonna turn the world upside down. I didn't even know where to start. I think most Christians today don't even know where to start, and so they choose to do nothing. Or they choose to, 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 to look into themselves and learn more and, and, and get more from Scripture, and they become this, this sponge that, that, that is over-soaked. But instead, Jesus says, I want to use all of that to send you back out and bless others with the blessing that I have given you. The story doesn't end there. If you remember, back in the beginning of our story, Jesus and his disciples go to visit the Decapolis, and there is how many people there to meet him? One crazy man, right? But we could go a little bit forward in Mark, or I'm going to use Matthew this time. Matthew gives us an account of this as well in Matthew chapter 15, verses 30 and 31. Look at what we find out the next time Jesus tells his disciples we're going to go to the other side. And great crowds came to him, asking him to leave, say, get out of here, we don't want you here. No, that's not what it says. It says, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they did what? They glorified the God of Israel. They became worshipers of the one true God, how did they know he was true? Because of one man's story. Because one man was obedient to Christ. And instead of wallowing in his own sadness, he decided to use his story, his story of redemption, his story that had been turned upside down by Jesus to go and to tell others about what Jesus had done for him, just like Jesus asked him to. And the second time Jesus came to visit that area, he couldn't keep the crowds away. People wanted to know what he was about. They were bringing his, their sick and their lame. They wanted to hear his teaching. And they became worshipers, these pagans, those people over there, the people that were untouchable, the people that were unreachable, the people that we wanted nothing to do with. They became worshipers of the one true God because one man was obedient to share his story 
The end of Mark chapter five, verse 20 says, and he went away, talking about the demon-possessed man, he went away, the no longer demon-possessed man, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Does Jesus have a mission for you? If I have the opportunity to become the campus pastor of this church, it would be a great honor to do that. But can I give you a warning? I'm gonna remind you over and over again about the mission that God has placed on your life. The eight to 15 people, the the oikos that he's placed right on the front row of your life. I'm gonna ask you, how are you living your life? Are you reflecting Jesus to them? Are you praying for these people? Are you looking for opportunities to invest in their life? Or are you looking for opportunities to invite them to church or to an event or, or maybe to a cup of coffee where you can share your story with them? Are you wasting your story of redemption? Or are you living out the mission that God has called you to live out? He didn't turn your story upside down on accident. He did it on purpose because he wants you on mission. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That you've taken our stories and you've turned them upside down, not for our glory, but for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that you touched a demon-possessed man some 2,000 years ago and that you've touched us here today. With everybody's eyes closed and everybody's head bowed, I just want to invite you. There might be people in this room today that have never decided to follow Jesus with their life. I would be amiss if I didn't give you that opportunity. Let me me be very clear. This isn't going to be easy. It's going to turn your life upside down. It's going to require you to live a life of faith, which means trusting in God, not in the way that you've made sense of the world. But it's worth it in the end. And if you're willing to do that, you need to, first you need to admit that you're a sinner. Admit that the way that you've been living life is not, not the way God designed you for, to live life. And then you have to believe, believe that Jesus was the answer to that sin, that he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a perfect death in order that you may be made right with God, that you may be able to have peace with him again. And then you have to see, you see, it's not just enough to to just intellectually know that Jesus was a good guy. But you got to do something. you got to see, choose to place your faith in him. Choose to live a life of faith. Choose to allow him to be the Lord of your life. Be able to call the shots, to, to teach you his ways. In order that you may know his freedom. You want to do that, you could simply just have a conversation with God right where you're at. You don't even have to do it out loud. You just say, Lord, I, I admit today that I'm a sinner. But I believe that the sacrifice of your son on the cross and his death three days later was enough in order to reconcile a sinner like me with a holy God like you. So today I choose. I choose to place my faith in you. I don't know what that means fully, but I'm willing to make the first step. 
in order to follow you with my life. And Lord, for the rest of us here today, help us never to lose sight of the mission that you've called us to. May we be committed to going back to our people, the people you've placed in our life and telling them what you have done for us in order that your name may be glorified, in order that your goodness may be on display for all to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.